The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to <laughs> the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I am I am one of your hosts, John Sheeran, as the the man, Anthony Cazenza, is uh, experiencing some issues with his mic. My mic seems to be working though. Never done the intro before. This is going to sound terrible in the edit. I think I did the intro once actually. Now I'm just riffing. Well. That was interesting. Uh, of course, StreamYard just happens to kick out my microphone right when we decide to go live. They did it right before. I left and did it again. And here we are. Orange Black Insider. Love, love, love technical difficulties right when you take the air and awkwardness as we start. And of course, we're going to. But at any rate, John, thank you for bearing with me. I'm Anthony Cazenza. He's John Sheeran. This is the Orange Black Insider Bengals podcast. You can tell we're maybe a little rusty. We haven't been doing as many shows as we were doing in the regular season. So maybe there's a little rust, whatever. I don't know. Anyway, John, good to be with you, my man. We've got OTA stuff. We've got other storylines and we've got some fun stuff on tap tonight, including the kickoff of our 2023 potential breakout players list. We do this kind of every year around this time. And we're going to do that. And we're going to start off with someone that you may or may not expect to make that list. But uh, regardless, we're going to be there. I, uh, how are you? How are you? Despite the, the, the weird start, how are you, sir? Not my best performance of handling that, that on the fly, but <laughs> I'm sure you did fine. <laughs> oh, thank God you didn't see it. Uh, I'm doing well. I'm just trying to avoid the top 10 list right now. The top 25 list, the whatever list is going around. You have top coaches, oh, yeah. top quarterbacks. It's that time of year, you know, a lot of talking for a team that's pretty established now. So doing my best to bob and weave at the moment. Best offenses in you. Ring your hands to the heavens when, when you don't see the Bengals making certain lists. Arbitrary, It's arbitrary list season. There's draft season, there's free agency season, and there's arbitrary list season, which is always right around May, June, and a little bit of July. But we've got more not only to talk about right now because the Bengals are doing some on-field workouts. There's some interesting storylines with that. And then, of course, some rule changes and different things. We'll talk all about that 
And then, as I mentioned, we'll have a uh, potential breakout players list. And then we'll talk maybe a little Ring of Honor, too, this week. And if you are so inclined, no better way to ask for a great review, a great rating, or subscription after the way we started the program. But we're going to do it anyway. So if you are new here, welcome. We appreciate you uh, tuning in. Normally, we don't start the program with the choppy audio and all that kind of stuff. But hopefully, we're we're in there now. And uh, happy to have you with us. You can subscribe to the YouTube channel, the show icon above John Sheeran there. You can click that if you're watching on the YouTube side. Click that. Click the bell to be notified when we go live, when new content is available. We're getting some some more fun stuff on tap here for you on the YouTube side and as well on the audio side. iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, our show along with the others on the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel are all on there and you can get those. Leave us a review. Subscribe as well so you know when, in, when the next episode is on tap for you to check out well i guess we can start and let's i'm just going to cross my fingers and my toes that my microphone doesn't wonk out on me again here but let's let's talk a little otas so there's some good stuff going on with the Bengals. they're getting some workouts in of course you also cross your fingers and your toes this time of year to be like hey no no weird injuries no freak stuff happening while you're in just a shirt and shorts here but the Bengals are looking good, and speaking of freak injuries, the really bad one, Lael Collins suffered last uh, late last season, coming back from three torn knee ligaments. Uh, there's a clip here. I'll try and pull it up, but he returned and was doing some drills, has a sleeve on the leg, uh, looks a little more svelte than he did last year, at least from this uh, camera angle. And, John, he was moving pretty well for a guy, what, four or five months removed from the injury and maybe even less than that, probably more four months from surgery. I think it was exactly five months since the actual injury happened. And yeah, you're right. It was, I think it was the big three, right? The LCL, the MCL and the ACL that he tore in his right knee. And this is like the perfect example of why two injuries that sound the same typically end up not like every injury is typically different regardless of, you know, body size and age and all the other factors that kind of go into it. Joe Burrow suffered like a catastrophic knee injury. Like I think, I think three ligaments were torn when he tore his uh, knee up and had to get it, you know, surgically reconstructed and it took him a long time to look like Joe Burrow himself. When I saw what Lael Collins was doing, uh, granted it was like a 10 second clip, but it's, it's lateral movement that, that matters here because oftentimes you'll see guys coming back from bad knee injuries and they're sprinting and, you know, they're looking spry, whatever, but to be able to move laterally on what appears on the surface at an effective rate and also just planting that leg and just producing an explosion and power off of it as like a base. It's something that I don't think a lot of us expected to see from Collins until like late training camp at the absolute earliest. But this kind of coincides with what he was talking about. I think a month ago when he said, yeah, I'm like way ahead of schedule. I feel a lot better than I did last year. He was referring to the, to the chronic back injury it was kind of plaguing him throughout the entire season. So, that doesn't seem to be an issue right now that's hindering him on top of the fact that his knee has healed marvelously in, like you said, less than five months since whenever the surgery was, which I believe it was like early mid-January. Clip here. People have maybe seen it at this point, courtesy of at Bengals Drake on Twitter. But here, I mean, again, it's hard to get excited about a, a guy doing a little bit of drills here in shorts and, uh, you know, uh, uh, what do you call that? The, the Nike, uh, I don't know, heat heat wicking material here but here here he is right here um and we're showing the power that he's known for there 
we'll play it one more time here. I'll, I'll turn the volume down on it. So, uh, but you, you can play it. You can see it here again, though. Uh, again, just nice lateral movement, nice lateral movement, and a, a nice little punch at the end there. And, and that's just, you know, again, it's the little things, but these are the things that we can get excited about. We were getting excited about when we saw the progress with Joe Burrow and he, his knee injury when he was coming back where it's like, okay, no knee brace or, oh, you know, knee brace is on, but he's moving around and he's dropping back and throwing passes. It's these little steps, these incremental progresses that you see from these players and you go, okay, maybe things are headed on a faster track than we believe. We, at least I, John, was – under the impression or resigned to the belief that Collins was probably going to be, and it may still be the reality, even with this clip we're looking at, but I mean, was he was maybe going to be on the pup list to start the year. Um, we'll, we'll see exactly what happens with all of that, but maybe this is kind of changing some opinion and maybe he is, I mean, not that I would have expected him to not take it seriously, but maybe he's taken his rehab extremely seriously, you know, lost a little weight it looks like, and maybe that's helping with, with, you know, the pressure on the knee and all of that stuff that comes with that. I mean, this is why, like, everything added up to him missing time this season because of his age, because of the injury history, the the knee injury, com- you know, compounding with a back injury that just makes the rehab presumably harder. Like, we didn't think the back injury was going to go away, and it could just flare up at any time. Like, I don't think it's completely, you know, he's completely out of the woods in that regard yet. But just looking at that clip, like, you would never be able to tell that that guy is five months removed from like a no. major knee, knee injury at all. Like yeah, it, it, just, no. it just looks like his normal self, not just his normal self, but it looks like the Dallas version, right? Because so many times last year, you just saw him just really sluggish out of set dealing with that back injury, even before he had the knee injury. So I, I don't know what's in the water and at Paycor Stadium when they're rehabbing these guys from these knee injuries, but it's just time and time again that they're bringing these guys back probably before a lot of us expected to. And it's one thing to hear Lyle Collins, and this is not just him. Like you hear like, oh yeah, like I'm way ahead of schedule and like I'm feeling really good. And it's a lot of talk until you see it, until obviously he's in pads and taking on actual power. But when you see that coincide what he's saying, then you can can start to believe that something is actually happening here. Yeah, we usually, you know, answer a number of questions on our listener questions show, but Matt Lane proposes a interesting, and this is, this goes back to the, the, possible good problem the Bengals have at right tackle if pieces fall into place and he asked us through Facebook what do you think happens when the with the line when Collins comes back and again that could be pup that could be later on there was talk for a while that you know he may be a salary cap casualty and and gone at this point but I don't obviously he's still around here and the Bengals didn't invest an offensive line in the draft at least not very heavily so this is a guy that uh, you know seems to be in their foreseeable plans, but could we con- could we convince Jonah to move inside to left guard? Best five we have: Brown, Jonah, Karras, Kappa, Collins. Um, I think they are committed to Volson personally, but uh, you know I I think they would like to find a place for both Jonah and Collins in a perfect world. But I think this is going to be one of those heated competitions at right tackle, and you kind of have the continuity at least with Karras next to Volson. Um, and then you have the new, the new left tackle and Brown over there. But uh, that's just my, my two cents on it. I mean, it's the best case scenario if both Williams and Collins are completely healthy for the entirety of training camps. And then you can fairly judge what the reps look like in, in the preseason and going up against their own teammates in training camp. Um, 
I want to shout out to Ryan Patrick, one of my buddies on Twitter. Like, I don't think it's completely like nonsensical to suggest moving Lael to left guard, considering he did play there in his first two seasons yeah. with the Dallas yep. Cowboys. Like that, that's what they brought him in to be initially as a guard, and then he moved out to right tackle. Now, again, like I, I do think, like you said, they're they're pretty committed to developing Bolson at that spot. I think he's due for some sort of growth, whether it be marginal or extreme, probably more more sort of marginal, but. Like if both of those guys are healthy and like, 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 yeah, like you would think that that's a lot of money tied up to two potential starters and maybe it's pretty expensive to keep one of them on the bench. But if anyone's going to move to left guard, I think Collins makes the most sense. Also considering like at this point, he's going to be 30. You don't know how athletic he's going to be over the course of a 17 game schedule. I think you trust the athleticism of Jonah Williams to stay, stay to the outside. You have no idea if Jonah's going to translate well into the inside, but you at least have some pre prior tape of Leo Collins at left guard under Frank Pollock back when he was at Dallas. Yeah, and then, of course, you know, you're talking about whether it's – I don't know how much weight this holds, but, I mean, man, if you're talking about, hey, Jonah, you're not going to be left tackle anymore, now you're going to be right tackle. Oh, wait, no, now you're going to be left guard. Exactly. I mean, that you're just kind of screwing with his head a little bit too. I don't – you know, I don't know exactly how that would go over. But, yeah, the Leo Collins to left guard would be an interesting – and and – you know, may extend. We've seen that not so much recently um, with, with star players, but I mean, you've seen guys over the years, whether they struggled at tackle after being a high pick or they played tackle well for a little bit, and then they kick inside to extend their careers a little bit. We've seen that happen before. And so maybe with these injuries to Lael, maybe the, he, like you said, you go back to that position left guard and, you know, you, you catch a little lightning in the bottle there and then hope that Jonah Williams ends up being the answer at right tackle. If not, then you got to, you got to scramble a little bit there, but um, again, kind of shaping up to be a good problem as we've talked about um, with, with regards to those. I mean, I know there's a ton of question marks with where's Jonah at with things. It sounds like he's in a better place. How's he going to potentially transfer over to right tackle? And then of course the injury issues to Collins, but you know, it seems like there's there are options. There are good options potentially for the Bengals, and that that sounds like a good thing. But Collins making waves at OTAs with that little clip there. I know it's a little thing, but it's also a big thing uh, showing showing his movement around after that after that procedure being done. John, a couple of other things. I mean, some rookies turning some heads. I know Miles Murphy, the first round pick, showing some flashes and some drills and everything there. Uh, Yoshivas is also showing some things and, uh, you know, guys, again, it's hard to really wow a ton of people at this point in time in these, in these drills, but it looked like Joe Burrow throwing some nice deep balls as well. One to Jamar Chase and T Higgins the other day. So things are kind of clicking. And what's, what's nice is again, we're looking at, at least to this point, a somewhat normal, at least as it pertains to Joe Burrow, let's knock on wood, do it, do whatever you got to do off season with him and potentially a full one, which is always a good thing for the Bengals and for that offense. Yeah. And it's just like, we we can go through the scenarios of, you know, who, who plays where and who plays how much. And it's just like, we still got four months of off season to go. And unfortunately stuff does happen. Stuff does hit the fan from time to time and things that you can't really predict happen. So it's good at this point because I think everyone can agree that this is one of the, not the deepest Bengals team that has been around in quite some time. It's probably even deeper than the 2015 squad that ended up winning the AFC North that year. And obviously, you know, they were relatively healthy up until Andy Dalton broke his thumb. So having all this depth throughout the offseason in case emergency does happen, 
it helps create contingency plans and then have to enact those contingency plans once the regular season starts because we can talk about how Yoshivas is going to be like this uh, essentially redshirted receiver and Miles Murphy is only going to be the third and fourth defensive end and Lyle Collins and Jonah Williams who's going to start a right tackle. If just one thing happens, right, you could all of a sudden have one of those guys step into a larger role and then they're they're counted on to, to be a larger contributor more than than they're expected to be. So to have everyone healthy on the, and on the same page right now, just in case things happen, if they do happen, because you always have to, you can never predict just nothing and everything going to the course because all of a sudden you have an emergency appendectomy in, in late July, you know? Right, right. Well, again, as you mentioned, this is a very deep team and a deep in a lot of different places. And it's always, while I know we all love exciting draft picks, particularly when the, when the class has two wide receivers in it, but I mean, it's it is a nice feeling when you don't have to rely on those guys to be immediate contributors. That's not the plan. It's depth and it's development for them to potentially take a higher profile role down down the road here. But uh, yeah, I mean that's they're building a very deep team. There's no doubt about it. And this draft class really spoke to that notion. I think. I think so. Let's talk a little bit here about the new rule changes, John. We'll we'll switch gears here. There are a couple little different things in the NFL, and one of the things that occurred is on the kickoffs. And I believe where, where what it states now is that if there is a fair catch of some kind uh, on a kickoff, then that ball is automatically placed at the twenty-five yard line. Um, and so I've got company behind me there, but. Uh, <laughs> Talk about that. I mean, this has slowly been the, whatever you want to call it, evolution, de-evolution of the importance of, of kick returns. Um, and, of course, the emphasis on player safety. You know, you you, you can't do the wedge anymore, right? Um, there's all, you, you move the ball and the yard lines and all this kind of thing. So this is just another step in that process for player safety. And, uh, you know, it just lessens the importance of that position, I guess. Yeah, I think, like, the next step will probably be, like, no one can move um, before the kickoff or something like that, which is I think, right. what happens already in the XFL. But yeah, this is essentially taking what has already happened in college. So if, if for example, there's a short kickoff that goes to like the seven yard line and you have Charlie Jones back there, he can just fair catch it at the seven, you know, outside of the end zone and the ball will automatically be placed at the 25. So the whole, the NFL's argument with this is that the decrease in concussions on kickoffs will be larger than the overall decrease in returns so like they're projecting i think like it was like 30 percent of kickoffs uh were returned last year and they're projecting like 31 percent are supposed to be returned this year but but that seven percent difference is supposed is supposedly going to be uh smaller than the different than the difference in decrease in overall concussions because they do happen on those plays where you know players are running 20 miles an hour down the field trying to make it trying to make a play and unfortunately like this emphasis on player safety is putting is at the expense of a, a lot of these guys who are on the team primarily because of their special teams impact. And that's why you have most special teams coordinators and a lot of players. And Pat McAfee was was a big proponent of this, too, or against this as well, just because you don't know how much this is going to impact those decisions when you have final cuts at roster. Like how many guys do you want to prioritize being on special teams if there's not going to be as many returns or if the emphasis on that part of the team is not going to be as big because you have a rule that basically means like pretty much every time you're guaranteed to have the ball at the 25, right? And that's always been the calculus. Like how 
how deep in, into the end zone is it worth taking it out to get to the 25? Well, now you really just don't have any type of risk with it. And if you have a dangerous returner like the Bengals expect to have with their fourth-round rookie in Charlie Jones, or if they want to keep you know Trevor Williams or Chris Evans back there, if they feel confident in those guys to break off a long one, then maybe they don't really abide to the rule and they, they just want to return as much as possible. But this definitely avoids the risk of starting with bad field position, which is good from a football sense. But again, you don't know the the you know dozens, even hundreds of players in the NFL who their, their value on special teams, like th- that is their whole value. They're, that is their whole purpose of being on the team. And it's not just the return guys, obviously. It's the blockers. It's the guy. Who, it's the guys who make you know the tackles down the field on the actual kickoff team. So this is definitely moving in the direction of eventually. I think in the next ten years, we're going to get either like an onside kick. Or the ball at the twenty, or, or like a fourth and fifteen play, which will eliminate the kickoff altogether. But this is definitely a drastic move in that direction. Yeah, I mean, gone are the days where you keep a guy on your roster, and I know this this name just lives in Bengals. Uh, I don't know. Uh, this this name resonates with the Bengals fan base in a particular way, and that is Brandon Tate, a guy who yeah. used to be on the team largely. I mean, granted, he had a couple of t- touchdown catches with the Bengals as a wide receiver, but, I mean, he was kept as a kick returner. And kind of gone are those days. You're going to need to find a guy now that in the draft, like we, we mentioned his name a couple times here, Charlie Jones, a guy like that uh, who brings you value as a wide receiver. But, yeah, okay, the occasional uh, punt return, kick return, that sort of thing, that is what – that's like an, a, kind of an added value, an additional type of thing, as opposed to the primary contribution being at wide receiver. So we'll we'll see how this continues to to develop. But I think, like you said, this is just a, a step by step process to kind of de-emphasize that that role, that play in the game, as well as obviously upping player safety and lessening concussions in that regard. Uh, did, was there? Another in this regard that you wanted to talk about with the rule changes, something else. I know a couple, you know, there were at the owners meetings a couple months ago, there was the the number zero and all that kind of stuff as well that was put out there. But uh, any new ones you want to touch on here as well? Well, the ironic thing was, so the NFL is like, okay, we we care about player safety with kickoffs. But in, in terms of teams playing multiple Thursday night games, I mean, we have to abide to our overlords at Amazon, right? So the whole thing with that is between (laughs) weeks 13 and 17, a team can be given like a 28 day notice that, Hey, your game in that five week time frame is going to now be flexed to Thursday night football. This is just yeah. a way to say, we don't want Russell Wilson putting up a stink show on Amazon prime three times a year. And this is only going to happen at most twice a year. So already, like I think you might see one this year and that's just if things are really, I haven't seen the full Thursday night football slate for the season. I do know that the Bengals tonight game is week 11, against the Baltimore Ravens. So if they were to have another one flex, they would obviously be within like a month of each other. And they would find out before they even played their Thursday night game against the Ravens. But this opens the door to a team playing two Thursday night games in a single season, which seems pretty absurd because they probably shouldn't even be playing one unless there's a, there's a bye week that precedes it. So they're given ample rest. So the whole idea is, I mean, it's, it's all about money at this point because they don't want people not watching Thursday night football games and they want the best possible matchups to be under the lights during that playoff race. But, Anthony, I think there is a stipulation, though. You cannot play two road Thursday night games. And considering that the Bengals are already on the road for their Thursday night game, 
it eliminates, I think, three of the five possible games that could be flexed. And even so, yeah. like like one of them is the Chiefs game, one of them is the Steelers game. Those are essentially primetime games on CBS. They weren't yeah. going to get flexed. They're not going to get the rid of those. Place. Yeah, yeah. Right. So like the only two that could be flexed with the Bengals would be their game against the Colts and their game against the Vikings. Their home games in December. And even still, like I doubt the Colts are going to be in playoff contention. The Vikings very well could be. They're looking to repeat, but it's looking like very slim that the Bengals are going to be a victim of this. Hopefully, you're correct in that. I. I am not a fan of, of this. I mean, I understand why it's a ratings grab. It's a, you know, I, for all the reasons you laid out, I understand why they're, they're positioning themselves this way. And Thursday night football as it is right now, um, even earlier in the year, even when it's two division rivals against each other, it's not very great quality football. No. These guys, are t- <laughs> these guys are tired. I wonder why. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, they're tired and they've traveled in a short week and it's, I, I mean, it's just, it's not, you know, some of these places don't have the best weather and all of that. So it just sometimes makes for, you know, a combined score that that doesn't even equal 40, if not sometimes 30 uh, in some of these contests. So, I mean, I, I understand that they want to put the best product out there, but I mean, you are sacrificing a little bit of player safety. You are sacrificing, you know, there, there's going to be a team that maybe if they are in the playoff race, they lose a critical game that they thought was initially going to be a Sunday game. And that really hurts either their seating, their home field advantage, or even making the playoffs. And that's why I think this is, you know, I, I'm not a real big fan of this. They may or may not go overboard with it, but uh, I'm just, I'm not really a fan of, of, of this. Yeah, and unlike the kickoff rule, which I believe is like a, on a one-year trial basis, much like, reviewing pass interference was a few years back this does seem to be like it's going to be in place and hopefully like Goodell said like we're going to be very judicious about this like we're not just going to go crazy and just maximize it every single year hopefully that is the case and hopefully they never really have to use it they they should just be smarter about scheduling these games in the first place like Dan the man in the comment section there's week 16 Saints versus Rams on Thursday night I mean, that, should that even be a Thursday night game in the first place? Like, like the Saints are probably going to be okay, but, like, are the Rams going to be any, like, again, like, just be better. Just be more cautious about scheduling these games late in the season so you don't have to flex them out. Yeah. Well, we'll, you know, I, again, this is one of those things where it's the first first go around, first try of them doing it. Are they going to be over overly aggressive with how they operate with this new rule, or are they going to maybe play it real safe and maybe just do it once? and really examine which teams are, are going to be placed or flexed into Thursday night, a second Thursday night based on their schedule, their opponents and where they're at in the season. So um, yeah, yet to be, yet to be seen. All right, well, let's switch gears yet again. The Bengals ring of honor voting started three days ago and I'm going to pull up here. I think we've talked about this a little bit because when they said here are the nominees, but officially voting has started and this is on bangles.com. I'll maybe go full screen with this so everybody can maybe see uh, all of the names properly here. Uh, so we'll lessen it there, but you can see here the, here they are. Jim Breach, James Brooks, Chris Collinsworth, Corey Dillon, Boomer Esiason, David Fulcher, Chad Johnson, Tim Crumry, Dave Lapham, Max Montoya, Lamar Parrish, Bob Trumpy, Reggie Williams. Now, I think we had said last year, we thought, you know, Chad Johnson probably had a really good 
chance of getting in there. We thought that he was naturally going to be the next, uh, maybe with Willie, he was going to be one of the next guys. He did not. He lost out to Isaac Curtis. And for very valid reasons, Isaac Curtis was a, a revolutionary wide receiver in the NFL for sure. But as you look at this list now, you know, kind of whittled down and, and re-examine, you know, I have a couple of names that I've, I would have narrowed it down to. Now I don't have season tickets based on where I live. So I don't, I don't, have the opportunity to make votes myself, but there are a couple of names. I mean, there's a lot of names that are very, very deserving on this list. Um, where, where are you looking at where, who's your dark horse? Because, you know, again, we talked so much last year about Chad and we knew Willie was pretty much a shoe in to get in there. But uh, I mean, just kind of, as you glance at this list again here, what, what are you feeling? So if, if a dark horse is someone that I don't think is going to get in, but I would vote for I think that's Lamar Parrish. I think I think I talked about him last year as a, a guy who is just really underrated in Bengals lore and maybe just NFL lore in general. Like I, I think personally, Chad and Boomer are gonna are gonna get in just because they're mm. they're the two that stand out the most. Like Boomer was an MVP, just like Ken Anderson, and I think Chad is just a virtual lock. Like he, he had to wait after Willie Anderson because there is an emphasis on getting some of these guys in, so they so their whole Hall of Fame resumes look better in in the eyes of the people in Canton but like I, I think I like the whole idea of trying to get at least one guy in every year who played a long time ago and should and definitely deserves to have this moment and to be living during this moment you can call it the Ken Riley clause if you want but David Fulcher's or excuse me like Lamar Parrish 75 years old played um, I believe between 1970 1978 with the Bengals before finishing his career in Washington and being an all pro in Washington, but he made like six pro bowls with the Bengals. He made eight pro bowls did. in total. Like his hall of fame resume is pretty strong as it is. He was really productive. He was almost just as productive as Ken Riley was when he was a Bengal. Like that duo at cornerback was just, it was nightmarish. I'm assuming for this, for the seventies, I wasn't alive during that time, but I mean the, the production, especially returning um, interceptions, right? Like I think he had six or, or six or seven returns for, for touchdowns. He had a ton of yardage on top of it. So he, he was a playmaker, man. And he's one of the, he's one of the very best Bengals in those first years when they won a couple of division titles. And I, I think he deserves to have this moment. Unfortunately, that Ken Riley didn't have. So I like that idea of continuing to just obviously like the obvious candidate is Chad Johnson, in my opinion, just because of everything that he was as a player. And now as an ambassador with the team, he deserves this moment ASAP. But if I were to give it to a guy who has waited a long time for this moment and deserves it now? I would give it to Lamar Parrish. Yeah, Lamar Parrish. This is one of the one of the many times I wish we had Jeff Hobson on the show because Jeff Hobson loves the historical aspects of football, of sports in general. But but with the Cincinnati Bengals, he's a he's a veritable encyclopedia of knowledge. But you know, I think I remember looking at articles that he would write up on Lamar Parrish, and you know, he was kind of Deion Sanders before Deion Sanders, right? I mean, he, exactly. he had that athleticism. One thing that sticks out to me, and it's kind of an unfortunate truth, John, when you look at a lot of these names, is not you know the way their tenure with the Bengals ended was not the most pleasant. You look at Dylan; we kind of know there was a handful of years of of you know not not I don't know disgruntled whatever whatever you want to call it. Obviously, he was on teams where he was the team more more or less uh then you've got you know boomer and how he was unceremoniously you know ushered out for uh david klingler you've got you know chad i mean it was okay how he left but 
you know, he went on to New England and he, you know, he was pretty bummed out, understandably, with what happened in 2010. Um, Parrish was a guy they traded away because he was disgruntled. I think it was a contract dispute, if I remember correctly. So, I mean, a lot of that's what kind of you look at this, you go, man, there's a lot of guys that didn't end end their careers necessarily with the Bengals. I know Boomer came back and things were kind of rosy at, at that point. But um, that's kind of one thing where I go, oh, man, there's there's a lot of, uh, I don't know, shaky ground, I guess with some of these guys I'm with you. I think Boomer and Chad probably are um, the most obvious. I mean, there are a lot of guys, obviously all of them are deserving in a lot of different ways. You know, while I agree with you on the Lamar Parrish dark horse, um, I also look at those last two names, John, uh, especially Mm -hmm. Reggie Williams. Reggie Williams was on this team for a very long time. Didn't get all of the big accolades, but was on both Super Bowl teams Um, was, you know, one of Sam Weish's favorite players and a guy that just embodied team, embodied football IQ. Uh, I believe he was an Ivy League League guy, if I remember, Dartmouth, if I remember correctly. So um, we've we actually years ago, we we were in talks to get him on the show. So we should try and get him on the show here pretty soon. Very intelligent guy, wrote a book and really cool guy. But uh, that's a guy I wonder just because you know how the Bengals are about, um, you know, loyalty to their, to, to a bunch of their players. And Reggie Williams was incredibly loyal to this franchise and incredibly productive as well. So that, that may be a guy where I go, you know, maybe he doesn't have the amount of pro bowls and all of that, but he's got the years, he's got the two Super Bowl appearances. He's been a guy that was on this team for a very long time and, and did the work and did it well and then, of course, Trumpy, just a guy that, again, I know later in, when he was a broadcaster, uh, he, he unfortunately was a broadcaster when the Bengals <laughs> weren't very good either. So he wasn't always the most complimentary of them publicly at times either. But I know deep down he, he loves the Brown family. He loves this team. And he revolutionized the tight end position in the very, very infancy stages of this team. So those are two names at the bottom there where I go, man, maybe those two – have a shot to get in, even though not a lot of people are talking about him. I mean, Reggie Williams played what two hundred and six career games for the Bengals and a linebacker. Like that's that's a mm-hmm. pretty impressive resume in terms of longevity. But shout out to him because he's not only just a Bengals legend. I mean, he's a Cincinnati legend. While he was helping the team get to the Super Bowl, he served on city council and was a big proponent <laughs> of, of, of gun control. And like I, I think his whole just life has been phenomenal he's a great example for the team in the city so if reggie williams is in like hell yeah i'm all for that yeah yeah but obviously a lot of deserving names you look at i mentioned Corey dillon Corey dillon was insanely productive and oh by the way so was james brooks jim breach i think is he the, the still the all-time points leader uh in franchise history um if not i mean he he obviously kicked in very important games uh as well you look at montoya montoya was just an absolute beast and uh, got overshadowed, even though he made a lot of Pro Bowls as well, got overshadowed with Munoz on that line. So a lot of great names on here. I think we're both in agreement. It probably looks like it might be Boomer and Chad, uh, and for very good reasons. But, you know, there are a couple of names in there, both Dark Horse or, you know, obviously guys that do have similar fanfare to Boomer and Chad that, you know, you're talking about a Dylan, a Brooks, that those sort of guys that maybe have a shot this time around too. So I, I just looked it up. Jim Breach is definitely still the leader in yeah, points in Bengals so. history at, at eleven fifty one, and the following, the the four names after him are also all kickers. Do you know who is the highest scoring Bengal in history? Who's not a specialist? 
The highest scoring Bengal in history who is not a specialist. Um, if you don't know, we, we, I can answer it as, as a mic drop, and you can think about it for the next 20 minutes or Okay, so. let me think about it. Circle back yeah. around with me on that one. Yeah. I mean, I've got, I've got ideas, but, uh, yeah, circle back around with me on that one. All right. Um, well, uh, we've, we've talked about a lot of different things. We've talked Ring of Honor. We've talked about OTAs and everything. Let's have a little fun. We do this every year, and this is uh, something that, uh, you know, I, gosh, how long have we been doing this now, John? Five years, four years, something like that? We try and do it every year. Um, I remember in COVID, uh, we were doing it with, with players like, you know, Mitchell Wilcox and everything. And, um, these are guys who are, we feel in that for various, I mean, it's totally arbitrary. We talked, we joked earlier about arbitrary lists and all this kind of stuff. Totally arbitrary. It could be a veteran, could be a guy that's maybe a couple years in, could be a rookie, that sort of thing. But we say these are potential breakout players. And what does that mean? Well, obviously that's subjective. We're not necessarily saying pro bowl. We're saying maybe higher profile role than originally anticipated, higher contributions maybe than what it seems like on paper. Maybe that leads to some, you know, accolades, Pro Bowls, that sort of thing. But that's not necessarily the criteria, at least not for me. But, uh, you know, guys that we feel that can come in, um, whether it's their first year with the team in the league or they've been with the the team for a couple of years have had to buy their time and now their opportunity is here. So these are this is going to kick off the 2023 potential breakout players for the Cincinnati Bengals. And you mentioned this guy's name a couple of times, John, and earlier when you were talking about kickoff rules and whatnot. And he is one of the newest Bengals, and that is Chuck Sizzle, Mr. Charlie Jones, and here is a video file for you. And here's why. Okay, here he is. This is the stuff he can do on offense here. You see this, the end around to one direction, the end around to another direction, and all of these move the sticks. And then some, the Bengals like to run these with a lot of their players. It's been a been a banner day here for <laughs> – we'll try and pull this back up here in just a second. But basically, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll pull the clips back up here. But uh, what we're – what – made him the the guy that I felt was just the versatility and the special teams prowess and uh, ability to do different things and bring different things to the table, even as maybe wide receiver four, wide receiver five going forward here. Um, so uh, this is a guy I think a lot of people are excited about and for good reason, but he's also a guy that um, I, I think, you know, maybe a little bit on the older side in terms of age. So, you know, obviously you have that floor ceiling conversation, but a guy that, you know, can do some of those gadget plays can help you out on special teams, punt return, kick return, that sort of thing. Kill a couple of birds with, with one stone as a special teams player, as an offensive weapon, do the things that are asked of uh, quite often, a lot of the wide receivers in this, in, on this team here, and I think he's got a shot to, you know, even as wide receiver four, potentially wide receiver five, be a guy that is counted upon, especially as he grows into his NFL career late this year. I mean, he's 24 going on 25. So he's a rookie with the experience of like a three to four year player in the NFL. He's older than both Jamar Chase and D Higgins. And again, like the NFL experience aspect of that matters, obviously, and he will soon find that going up against NFL cornerbacks, it's not the same as going up against Big Ten cornerbacks, but it helps to be 
a high tier athlete. That's exactly what Chuck Sizzle is. You don't get that name if you're slow. So being fast while also being under 180 pounds or maybe right at 180 pounds and only 5'10", 5'11", that also definitely helps. He definitely plays larger than that. So yes, he's old. Yes, he's small. But he, like we talked about this right after the draft, his skill set pairs so well, not only in this offense, but with this quarterback. He will be so reliable on the sideline using the size that he does have to his advantage because he times his jumps so well. He's got insane ball skills for a guy that size. You typically don't think that he can not necessarily box guys out, but he can contort his body and he can hide balls because he times his jumps perfectly and he gets incredible extension on some of those catches. So back shoulders, you know, stop routes, comebacks towards the sideline. A lot of routes that are pretty frequent in this offense he can do as well as the slants, as well as the stuff that's over the middle and a lot of this quick hitting stuff that when the Bengals go into the gun. So route running, I think is already a plus with him. And then just the overall feel of finding those soft spots in the zone and getting off script with Joe Burrow, because that's what he did a lot. Oftentimes at Purdue with with his uh, quarterback, Aiden O'Connell, who was one of his childhood friends. Like that's one of the main reasons why uh, Charlie Jones transferred to Purdue, because he had experience of just knowing uh, the Purdue's quarterback, who I believe wanted, he either was drafted later, or he was undrafted, but he was a draftable prospect at quarterback. So once he was in an actual offense that featured him like a receiver, he produced more than basically any receiver in college football. So yes, it, it helps that he's older and he was able to basically just out-athlete a lot of these cornerbacks because of how old he was and because of how fast he was. But I, I like the nuance in his game, and I think it will translate pretty soon in the NFL. And obviously, just getting that experience and getting those reps against cornerbacks who know what they're doing and against defenses who aren't going to give him as much space over the middle. Like, that definitely helps. But he's also not afraid to, to take contact over the middle, to take contact at the catch point. And that's definitely going to increase the trust that Burrow has in him. Yeah, you're seeing two punt returns here. We got the video queued back up. Uh, you saw the end arounds that netted, uh, you know, about 15 to 25 yards a pop. You're looking at two punt returns that netted about 30 yards a pop. And then here he is with the kick return fielded at the goal line. And it's see you later. Uh, 100-yard kickoff return. Now, a lot of this stuff that I'm showing you is actually his from his time at Iowa and not at Purdue. Still, I mean, uh, it is what it is. And then, oh, by the way, here's what he gives you, too on offense you talked about it a lot weaving through a couple of defenders diving catch there you gotta like that so don't really know why this wasn't uh queued up or why that wasn't why it was freezing up on us there but you can see why it's the it's the multiple facets the punt return the kick return the end arounds on offense and when you you couple that when he was in college and on these teams he was one of, if not the best offensive weapon, uh, skill position weapon on his team. And now you're coming into a situation where these defenses, the pressure's kind of off of him because he's coming onto the field with a whole bunch of different weapons where the defenses probably aren't really thinking about him. I mean, they'll pay attention to him, but they're not thinking about him nearly as much as if you have Jamar Chase, T. Higgins on the field. And oh, by the way, Tyler Boyd in the slot, one of the, one of the two running backs, three running backs the Bengals have that can churn up yards as well. And if you draw up a play where you go, what is that? We haven't seen that one before, or we haven't seen him do that. All of a sudden, you need it. You need a big spark. You need that those chains to be moved, whether it's an end around or, like you said, kind of tough catches across the middle, that sort of thing. He'll give you that. 
just think of all the things that Trent, Trent Irwin does well. And the, I mean, I'm not knocking Trent Irwin at all because he's fit really seamlessly in this offense. Charlie Jones is just an upgraded version of him, like already been, you know, like one, one of them was undrafted, right. one of them was a fourth round pick. And the fact that he does give you an explosive, explosive off, explosive option at kickoff return, he was the Big Ten Specialist of the Year in 2021. That was the only year that he was truly featured as a kickoff returner, and he averaged 26 yards per return at Iowa, along with a, a long of 100 yards that ended up being a touchdown. So that was another reason why he ended up being drafted. And he, if he was only a kickoff returner, he probably wouldn't have you know, touched maybe the sixth or seventh round in this draft, considering how old he was and how unproductive he was before he got to Purdue. But adding that extra element of, of value, it, it's only going to increase his chances. I'm not making, I mean, he's making the roster, but it's, it's going to up his standing and the depth chart. And I think by the end of training camp, should he be healthy, and has a decent preseason, he's probably wide receiver four already. Right, and that's a guy, I mean, I think when we first talked about the draft class, breaking it down, he just kind of seemed like one of those guys that I called, a lot of people used to call, it's not a term that a lot of people use a lot anymore, but gamer. He's just a guy when they when the lights are on and it's time to play, he just goes out and, and does what's needed, makes tough tough catches, tough plays. Um, just, a, just a guy that, and I, I, what I like about him, you kind of said this as well, reliable just seems like a reliable guy especially with the connection with joe burrow just seems like it's going to be something that a player he's going to trust to step up when when it's needed obviously going to take a back seat to jamar chase t higgins tyler boyd and and irv smith but still a guy i think that that's going to contribute and going to be a guy important is my prediction as the Bengals make a potential postseason march and through the postseason so if we want to talk about like projections for Charlie Jones, obviously a lot of it comes down to how much is he actually going to play. And unfortunately, like the Bengals relied on Trent Irwin and some of their other depth options at receiver. We don't know if that's going to be the case this year, but if he is wide receiver four, like what, what would you consider like a successful season in terms of production? Is it just being reliable when he is on the field or are there like benchmarks that, that you expect him to hit in terms of like yards, receptions, touchdowns, all that stuff? I don't know if I have benchmarks that I expect him to hit. Let's, if you look at Trent Irwin's stats from last year, 15 catches, uh, four touchdowns. By the way, I, a little taller than I remember him being, six two. I didn't, I didn't realize uh, Trent yeah. Irwin was was that tall. But uh, 15 catches on 23 targets, 231 yards, a 15.4 yard per catch average. That's pretty impressive. Four touchdowns, a long of 45. Here's what I liked about this. When you look at Trenton Irwin's first downs to catch ratio, it's 12 first downs on 15 catches. That's pretty good. Um, now, granted, your sample size is small, and like I said, he's not going to be the focal point from defenses when he's on the field. But, you know, I think if you're in that, you know, 25-ish catch, um, you know, 300-ish plus yards – and then maybe similar touchdowns, but your your first downs are pretty close to the amount of catches. That's that's going to be the key metric for me is regardless of the amount of catches that Charlie Jones does or doesn't get, I'd like to see most of the, the vast majority of those kind of like with Irwin go for first downs, not just a bunch of catch that, you know, chew up some yards and don't really get you get you much footing on a drive type of thing. So that's going to be a metric for me, but I, I, I still contend. And that's why I didn't go offensive heavy on the highlights that I put on this video here I still contend that I think he's going to be the guy on uh, a guy on special teams and that's where 
he's initially going to going to help this team out. And if he can get, I'll, I'll get into uh, Trent Taylor's uh, punt return average here. But you know, if he can in, be better in that regard, obviously um, that's going to be something that. And I like Trent Taylor too. I like Trent Irwin. I like Trent Taylor. Um, but that's going to be something where I think that, uh, that that'll provide value to the Bengals for sure. Trent, I mean, Trent Taylor is definitely the one who's most at risk here with the, with just the presence of Charlie Jones. If you want to assume that both Jones and Yoshevis are making this team, you still have Stanley Morgan. You still have Trent Irwin, who I don't think is necessarily going anywhere just because of the year that he had. I mean, that's seven receivers right there, and Trent Taylor would be the eighth. You're pretty much assuming that he's going to be the odd man out should Charlie Jones do everything that Trent Taylor can do as a punt returner and probably then some like that. That's the whole, it's the whole reason why Jones was invested as early as he was, because when Darren Simmons went to produce pro day and it was kind of like a cloudy, foggy, rainy day. And you know, the players were inside. He's like, no, we need, we need to see him, you know, handle 50 punts in these conditions. Cause he's going to have to deal with this stuff in the FC North and he handled it with flying colors. And he has that explosion. He has that second gear to him that Trent, that Trent Taylor just unfortunately doesn't have. I don't think Trent Taylor, I don't think anyone thinks that he's like a bad pump returner necessarily, but no. when you have a guy that can take it all the way, like that's just something that Darren Simmons has been looking for for at basically probably since what Alex Erickson did in the 2016 preseason because Erickson was never anything more than what he was when he first took Brandon Tate's job, but he was just reliable enough to keep the job, and that's kind of what Trent Taylor's been for the past couple of years, and now they're looking for more. Uh, you look at Trent Taylor's punt return stats from last year actually had the second highest yards per return in his career at 10.3. He had 12.4 back in 2020 with the 49ers. He had 33 returns for 340 yards, no career touchdowns there. Very limited, only eight career kickoff returns there. So that's not really something that we'll, we'd be talking about too much there, but the year prior with, with him and granted it's, it's only four games as opposed to 16 games last year but in four games with the Bengals, seven returns for 52 yards and only a 7.4 yards per return average there so i mean I, I think again if you're getting into double digits and maybe have a little bit more frequent big plays on a punt return and taylor had a few late late that were you know pretty valuable but i, I think if you can get a little bit more of that uh out of out of chuck sizzle i think that's where you go wow this is this is where this pick is is paying off immediately in the and not everything in the preseason is valuable or useful, but those reps definitely definitely are. Like as everyone who has an act on special on special teams needs to take the preseason very seriously. And while the reps mm -hmm. on offense and defense they kind of look you know so so, every pump return is going to be important for Charlie Jones and Trent Taylor for that matter. Yep. Well, let's uh, that that was our first, and we had a hiccup yet again with the with the video there. It's been just a great day on my end, but. Uh, hey, we're, we're, we're crawling to the finish line here. It is drop the mic time. And, uh, John, what do you have for us with the mic drop? You, you, you were going to quiz me here on, on one part of it. What it was the most points by a non kicker in Bengals history. Yes, sir. And it was already spoiled in the comments. So don't look at that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I you, saw you, you it. That was oh, damn. Well, that was where I was going to go. I know that's uh, so that was but I... <laughs> uh, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily at the top of my mind, but that was one of the one of the people I thought about. But, yeah, I think we know here. And of course, I think we're going to have to rely on uh, 
Mr. Dan the Man for he's he's another encyclopedia. We gotta have like a trivia contest with with listeners and fellow hosts and all that kind of stuff. That'd be fun. But uh, was that the answer? Was it indeed Pete Johnson? It was Pete Johnson, but it was not my full mic drop that I wanted to say. He did. He, I did okay. want to say though, he did score exactly 420 points, which is kind of nice. Uh, <laughs> I do have a story though because I saw one of those players, one of those 13 nominees for the Ring of Honor of the weekend. David Fulcher was actually out on the golf course for this golf outing that was in uh, Coleraine. Did you go to it? Yeah. So the the, so uh, was the a, Joe the it Jack wasn't that Joey one. He was oh, okay. he was busy over the weekends. He was playing golf all weekends. So this was on Saturday, and this was uh, at a different golf course in Coleraine, which is northwest of downtown. And so his whole thing was he would be on hole one, and you would donate 20, 20 bucks to like the foundation that that's running the whole golf outing. And Jim and David Fulcher, um, who has a pretty good swing, would drive you out. Would would hit a tee shot out into the fairway, and wherever his tee shot would land. That's where the hole would start for you. So basically, you're starting like your tee box is hopefully just like in the middle of the fairway, essentially. Right. So, so we paid the twenty bucks, and we you know we, we chatted him up, you know, to see how he was doing and everything. He was doing well, and the four of us in our group, we hit like the four, the four best tee shots that we hit all day, like in a row. Like we we've never like like we played pretty well that day, but never did we have every single one of our tee shots look as good as it did. So we put the pressure on him because he was hitting last. And God bless David Fulcher. He hits like five of the worst tee shots that I've ever seen. And oh, man. He doesn't really, he doesn't really put us anywhere useful. So <laughs> he was saying like, man, like, I don't know if you guys really need it. Thanks for donating, but I don't know if this is going to be right. much of a use. For you. So <laughs> we, we're, we're laughing with him. We, we, um, we, I think we took one of, I think we took his best tee shot, which is like in the rough. And we birdied or we eagled the hole actually, because it was a birdie minus a stroke or whatever. But, Shout out to David Fulcher, just a great guy, just out having fun and for a good cause. Is he as monstrous as he looked uh, as a player? He's he's a big dude. He's a he's big, big dude. dude. I don't yeah. think he's exactly at his playing weight, but I mean he's, he was bigger than all of us. So right, right. <laughs> well, former. My gosh, I, I can't remember back then if that was Pack Eight or Pack Ten when he was when he was playing for Arizona State. But he is part of, uh, if memory serves, he is part of the ASU. Um, Hall of Fame or the College Football Hall of Fame. I have to double check that there. But uh, so hopefully he gets his rightful place in the Bengals Ring of Honor. One of their best defensive players they have ever had uh, on that team. So uh, pretty cool. That's cool stuff. And it's good to see him out and about doing all kinds of charitable things, which is awesome. So um, good, good on that. Uh, I don't really have much. I think I, I spent. I, I'm afraid to even do a mic drop <laughs> based on all the issues I've had today with the with the uh, you know the audio and video and all that kind of stuff. But at any rate, thanks everybody for sticking with us. I know the live show, sometimes that just happens. We usually, we got this thing as a relatively well-oiled machine, but just hit some hiccups today. Apologize for that, but uh, we're going to keep pumping out content. We've got ideas both uh, for live shows and otherwise on our channel and our YouTube channel. And of course the Cincy jungle podcast channel, where we have our show three and out uh, Bengal Jim's talking football Matt Minnick's Coach Speak and Chalk Talk episodes. All of those are on the audio channel, so go check that out there. Appreciate all of you. Appreciate you, John. And, man, you you played like a champ to start off the show. I appreciate it. And uh, we will see you guys soon with more content as the Bengals roll on into training camp and into preseason and the eventual season as well. So take care, everybody. John, take care of yourself, my man. We'll talk soon. 
Happy Memorial Day weekend. Stay safe, y'all. Yes, yes, yes. And thank you to those who served also on this Memorial Day weekend. How, that, that should be my mic drop. What the hell? God, I'm all rattled. <laughs> I'm all rattled. So thank you. And yes, happy and safe Memorial Day weekend, everybody. 